Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Glad y'all were able to come out tonight. So good to see you. Um, I was elated when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. So good to be here, sharing the word of God with friends. There's nothing better than that. So I thank you guys. So uh, tonight, uh, would you please turn your Bible and your apps to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. I will tell you that uh, I have mixed emotions about this particular book, this particular chapter, and I'll tell you why. I like the fact that it talks about prayer, but I'm not real big on fasting. Unless your vision is bad, you might not understand what I'm getting at here, but uh, for those who see well, you know, I take my dining seriously. So uh, we are going to talk about prayer and fasting, and this is a, a, a great time uh, for that uh, based on what's going on around us. And secondly, the messages that we've been hearing uh, in the mornings, uh, the morning uh, Bible uh, time is uh, just prayer and how important it is. And um, it's one of those things that some of us just take it for granted. Uh, as the pastor was speaking this morning, I was thinking about uh, how most of us, Use prayer as a last resort. I've tried everything that's humanly possible. Now, all I got left is prayer. But I think, I, not, I know we need to turn that around. And it says, seek the first the kingdom of God. And all those other things will fall into place. And again, as we dig into this, I just, I just truly believe in prayer from the very core of my heart. And everything that we do uh, starts with prayer. And everything that we do ends with prayer. And that's the message that I, I'd like to convey through the Holy Spirit tonight, the power of prayer. So... Heavenly Father, we just give thanks for uh, the, the sweet worship that's been sent up to you, Father, as an incense. And I know that right now uh, you're just smiling down on this place, Father, not because of us, but because you're seeing our hearts and you know that our desire is to serve you, to worship you, to exalt you in every way. And I'm just so thankful for sisters and brothers who are, uh, uh, are like-hearted with that same desire, Father, to serve you, to be about our Father's business. So I pray now, Father, that you would just uh, uh, guard our ears, our eyes, our hearts, that these words would be encouragement to each and every one of us, Father, and that we would not allow anything or anyone to detract from what you have for us. So may you be glorified in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I've titled Daniel uh, chapter 9 as a heart like God, a heart for the people. That is our heart. All the people that I know that serve here, that is their heart. Uh, a, heart for the, for God, a heart like God and a heart for the people. So I pray that if there's anyone who doesn't feel that way, that tonight there will be a virtual heart transplant and that we will be able to understand the power of prayer and the love of our God. So uh, before I, I, I start with verse 1, I'd like to just, uh, um, another verse, another book that really, really, um, I really etched, allow the Spirit to etch that into my heart, and that is Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And if you'll notice the order, prayer, prayer is first. And that's how it's supposed to be. If and when you pray, if you're not humble 
then you must ask yourself, who are you praying to? And when we pray, let's not be about I, me, my. Let's be about us, they, them. Because that's what he wants from us. Joy. Jesus, others, and then you. So you fall in line behind what the Lord will have you to do. So when we're being about this business, you take priority over me in every way. And a lot of us don't feel that way. You know, we're Americans, and I'm sure it happens in other places of the world, but it's all about us, and it should not be. So as we dig in, think about what, what Daniel has witnessed. Uh, when when the, the three Hebrew, Hebrew boys were in the furnace, Daniel was off campus, so he didn't actually witness that, but he knew about it. When Daniel was in the lion's den, I'm sure that's etched in his mind forever. It has to be. Because if he didn't believe in God and that God brought him through that, I don't know what it would take. You've thrown in with hungry lions and they didn't touch you. You got out unscathed. That's God all the way. Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the lineage of the Medes who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And the prayer of Daniel in this chapter is a combination of the life of prayer, a life of prayer. He didn't pray when it was convenient. He didn't pray when things weren't going well. He didn't pray when he was in trouble. It was a life of prayer. And Daniel's prayer was a real exercise of soul and spirit. And such prayer requires a tremendous amount of effort, endurance, and suffering. And you may not look at prayer that way, but there's, there, there's an effort, there's endurance, there's suffering in it. You know, to make time for prayer, make it a priority, it doesn't come easily. And I'm going to talk about six things uh, that are the basic ingredients in the prescription of godly prayer. The first one is purposeful planning. Daniel was prepared or prepared. And uh, he was definite in his prayer. And that's how we need to be. We need, what are you praying for? What are you praying? What are you saying to God? And, and he's going to understand. It's not necessarily your words, but it's a condition of your heart. That's what he's seeing. So Daniel was prepared and definite in his prayer. So be concise and bear in mind that, well, I don't think he's too concerned about this little stuff. I'm just having trouble with a friend. I'm just having physical ailments. I, I don't think God's too concerned about it. Yes, he is. He's concerned about everything, every part of you. And the, the word tells us that, even the hairs on your head. He's concerned about that. So Daniel, purpose of planning. Daniel was prepared and definite. Painful performance. Daniel's prayer was not for outward show, but to reveal the sincerity of his heart. God sees the sincerity of your heart. You can't fool him. You're praying for these things, but you're not really sure. You're not, you're not, there's no blessed assurance that Jesus is going to come through for you. So you're not praying with sincerity. You're sort of wishing, hoping. If your prayer is according to his will, then he will respond. Now, we're going to see something that happened here with Daniel that a lot of us don't, um, don't see that often. Uh, in perfect plainness, Daniel was candid and straightforward in his confession. Don't be afraid. Don't be uh, cowardly about expressing your concerns. Don't be shy about what you want to say to the Lord. Be open, be sincere, be honest. If you can't be honest with our Lord and Savior, then your friends don't stand a chance. Be open. Uh, powerful petition. Daniel answered... And this is the one. God answered Daniel's prayer in a very timely manner. That doesn't always happen. And this leads to frustration with some of us. Lord, I've been praying about these things for 18 months and three days now. And you haven't answered it yet. Do you love me, Lord? Yes, he does. But pray according to his will. That ache, that backache that you're suffering. That, that, that. Post-surgery intolerance that you have, that may be part of his plan. 
We, we, learn, we have to learn to think that way. And in this case, we'll talk about the timeliness of Daniel's prayer in a few minutes. Daniel's prayer was personal and private. Daniel did not call a public prayer meeting. He prayed privately. Now, there are times when God would ask you to pray publicly. And there are other times when he may ask you to, pay, to pray privately. That's what he wants from you. And the idea here is something else that we struggle with, obedience. Ooh, tough one. Obedience. So Daniel was, uh, he was obedient to how the Lord asked him to pray in this particular instance. And there's plenary or complete or full penetration. Prayer is the only thing that, has successfully, that can successfully penetrate outer space. And this is not Star Trek. This is just the fact that when we pray, it goes up to heaven. It goes up to him. And we don't have to be concerned about how flowered it is, how many scriptures we throw in there, how long it is. We don't have to be concerned about any of that. And too often we see that. You know, and uh, in my, our experience, we see it pretty much when husband and wife are praying together. And way too often, the wife is critical because the husband's prayer was this long. Didn't include any scripture. Hers was this long. And then to get into a discussion in front of the rest of the, the group. Because, well, you need to pray better than that. And that reminds me of what we were talking about this morning. Judge not. So I'm judging your prayer on how I think you should pray, how long I think you should pray, how many scriptures you include. And that's not what it's all about. That's going back to what we said. Daniel's prayer was not for outward show, but to reveal the sincerity of his heart. So that's what we're praying. We're praying that we are sincere, honest. Verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And Daniel read the writings of Jeremiah, who in his youth had been someone that influenced Daniel's life. Jeremiah had a tremendous influence on, on uh, his readings, on uh, Daniel reading about his life. Daniel was concerned about his people. He had been shaken by the vision of the little horn in chapter 8, who would misuse Daniel's people as to destroy them and profane their temple. And the primary factor that brought Daniel to prayer was a study of the word of God. God's word reveals God's will. The study of God's word followed by prayer is a formula for determining God's will. How do I know what his will is? Read his word, learn his heart, and try and live as closely to the way he lived as you can. Again, we're wrapped in flesh, so it makes it difficult. That old flesh wants to rule. Everybody in, this, in here and in pixel land knows that. That flesh wants to rule. I've been doing so great lately, and all of a sudden, now I got these sophomoric thoughts that are running through my head. Keep on pressing, pressing in, pressing in. I'm going to honor the Lord no matter what. It's a challenge. It's a daily challenge. And sometimes we're on the mountain, sometimes we're in the valley, but He's always working. Always. There's never a time when he's not working. So don't allow the enemy to steal what the Lord is doing in our lives. Verse 3, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, and with those who keep his commandments. It's a challenge. Prayer is a challenge. We, we've all heard it. Well, well, I do pray, but it's kind of hard to get the time to pray. It's very difficult. I, I work, I come home, I'm tired, and I, I just want to just relax. So I don't have time to pray. So what you're saying to the person whom you're speaking to and yourself is prayer is not a priority to you. Prayer doesn't have to be done a certain way, a certain time, 
facing a certain direction, eyes closed, whatever you think is totally necessary, it isn't. Pray, communicating with the Lord. Well, I don't really understand the Bible. Have you ever picked up any book for the first time and understood it? In fifth grade, when you had to read Little Red Riding Hood, did you really get it? No, you had to read it again and again. In ninth grade, Fahrenheit 451, did you get it? No, you had to pick it up and read it again. In 11th grade, Soil and Green, did you get it? You definitely didn't get that. But you picked it up again and again and again, and that's what we need to do. Pick it up and read it and allow the Holy Spirit to interpret for us. We have an interpreter, a built-in interpreter. What does that mean? I don't get it. Okay, flip over to uh, Ezekiel whatever, 37. <laughs> See what it says. And that's what we do. That's what we need to do, and that's when we get to understand it. And here, fasting was uh, enjoined by the Lord Jesus and it had a prominent place in the early church. We can go back to Acts, if you would. We could, but we're not going there. And just understand what this was. So I'm going to, a couple references here. The first one is Matthew 9. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to read it. And for your note takers, I'll try and slow it down a little bit. Not much. Matthew 9, 14 through 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharaohs fast often? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So we need to understand how fasting plays a part here. That flesh wants to rule. So when you hold back on what the flesh really requires in order to rule, you'll realize that that, that physical substance is part of what it wants. And if we don't give it that, then what we do is this is a part of crucifying that flesh every day, every single day. Continue to crucify that flesh, and fasting will be a great part of that. Acts 13, 2 and 3, 2 through 3. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Prayer and fasting. And certainly we, we won't fast every time we pray, but it's just that make prayer a priority. Prayer a priority. And, and fasting just enhances that prayer life because now you're not allowing the flesh to have its way in you. You're taking away something that the flesh demands. And now you can focus on the spiritual aspects of the prayer now rather than the fasting. So prayer, first and foremost, you can't be overdone. Continue to pray. Continue to seek his face in everything. And, and the Lord's going to bless you. Uh, it says that when you honor the Lord, he will honor you, and he will. Make time for prayer. Let's not say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for it. If prayer is not a priority, then I have to ask you, then what is? What is more important than prayer? And we can answer that, you know, you can answer that for yourself. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that dis distracts us from praying? What dis distracts you from praying? What is it that says you can't find so many minutes in the day to pray? What's taking priority over that? And if you really measure it out, I'm thinking that prayer is going to overrule what it is that you're using uh, on that time. First uh, Corinthians uh, 7, 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Self-control is really what it comes down to. And with, in, in, within that self-control is that ability to just focus on the spiritual. Focus on the spiritual. And what you will find out is that some of those things that we're struggling with, either physical ailments, can be minimized or eliminated 
just through the power of prayer. And I'm not going to stand here and talk about naming and claim it. Not at all. Because, because. Good enough. So let's not get caught up in that. Brother, the reason that you're still struggling with these ailments is because you're not praying enough. Can't, no. That, that one just doesn't make it. But you will hear that from some people, even these so-called friends of yours. They will tell you that if you pray differently, then you wouldn't have these ailments. If you sought the Lord fervently, then you wouldn't have these ailments. And it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. If that were the case, then why was Paul saying, why did Paul reference the thorn in his flesh and the Lord didn't take it away? Well, maybe Paul wasn't godly enough. Wrong. The Lord's will was that Paul would have that thorn in the flesh. And if you have a heart like God, you will realize that what he's doing in your life, even that challenging physical ailment, that mental ailment, that psychological, financial ailment, that that is part of his plan for you at this time. He has a plan that he's going to He's going to finish up with, and it's going to be better than what you're going through now. But again, that requires obedience on our part. It requires faith in the Lord. It requires confidence in him that he's going to deliver. And he has to. Otherwise, the part about I've begun a good work and I will be faithful to complete it can't be true if he doesn't finish it. He can't lie. So he will finish that up. And Daniel demonstrated a personal persistence in prayer. Daniel's prayer is very personal as it concerns him and his people. Daniel recognized the attributes of God and rests upon his personal relationship with God, which he says, when he says, my God, it has to be a personal relationship. If you don't have a personal relationship with him, then you're not quite connected. It has to be a personal relationship. Otherwise, how can you worship him? How can you honor him? How do you get to know a friend? You spend time with them. You talk to them. You listen to them. How do you get to know God? You spend time with him. You talk with him. You listen to him. There's no shortcut. No shortcut at all. Before making his confession, Daniel dwells on the greatness of God. He recognizes that God is worthy of reverence and praise. God not only makes promises, but God keeps his promises. That is the blessed assurance. God is faithful, and his mercies are new every single morning. When you wake up, open your eyes, and you see new mercies sprinkled all over your pillow. That means it's going to be a good day, a very good day. That means God's working. He's concerned about how your day is going to go. Maybe you'll start to trust him more. It was God's mercy that the nation had been preserved. It's God's mercy that this nation has been preserved. And as we look around at the current climate, we say, well, it doesn't seem to be so preserved. But think about what we've gone through past year, two years, two and a half years, whatever it was, when God took away all the things that we relied on. Not only did he take away, he, did this situation affect us financially, it affected us spiritually. It affected us psychologically. It took us away, literally all of the things that we depended on, even friends, even family. Well, I can't come around you now because of the current climate, so let's just stay away from each other for a while. How does a a parent say that to their child? How does a child say that to their parent? I can't be around you now. So God showed us that I can take away all these things. Lamentations 3.22 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. There won't ever be a time when I don't have compassion for you. No matter what you're going through, you're being stubborn, you're being disobedient, you're being rebellious, 
but I still have compassion for you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to pour my mercies out on you. So his compassions fail not. God expects us us to be obedient to his will, his word, and his way. His will. What is God's will? What is God's will for you? And at the risk of being incorrect, I just want you to ponder that for yourself. If you don't understand the question, you feel free to come up and ask, what is God's will for your life? Do you know? If you have a a personal relationship with him, he will let you know in no uncertain terms. This is what I want from you and you and you. This is what I want. That's my will for your life. Uh, What is his word? This is it, my friends. This is his word. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. His word. So this is what he wants us to know. So he's made that available to us. And now he's given us the task of digging in and finding out for ourselves. Verse 5. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your service, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our prince, to our fathers and all the people of the land. By using the pronoun we, Daniel identifies himself with his people. He is specific in his confession. Daniel labels each sin, and he labeled iniquity, he labeled wickedness, he labeled rebellion, he labeled disobedience, and he labeled refusal to hear God's prophets. Now, did you choose to listen to them or not, depending on what they were saying? That's a problem for us. Brother, I know you're, you're, you're a God, godly person. I hear you. I tried that. It didn't work for me. So, not only that, but I went to church once, and I saw I've met a hypocrite, so I've never go to church again. We've heard it. We've heard, and there's much, much more, but a lot of you have heard some of these things, and some you could share it with me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really, I would like to be a Christian. I would like to live like you, but I got to give up all this. I can't hang out with my friends. Well, Job has friends like you have, you know, and, and all kinds of things. And, and how can you taste and see that he is good yet turn away? How does that happen? And I, I, I'm going to ask him to explain that one to me when, when we get to see him face to face. How does a person taste and see that? What is so bad? about serving the Lord. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries in which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and prophets. 11, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curve and the, uh, the curse and the oath written by the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you, against him. Twelve, and he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges, who judge us by bringing upon us a great disaster. And he has done that even in our nation, a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. And we could line out Jerusalem and put 
other names in there, things that have been done to this nation. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn our iniquities and understand your truth. 14, therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he, had, which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. He just keeps on loving us. He sent us through times of disaster, times of turmoil, times of betrayal, times of trusting in man and then being deceived or let down. He's allowed us to experience all of that. And somehow, we're still overcomers. Does that make sense? I've been unfaithful. I've been unfair. I haven't honored your word. Yet, I'm still standing. How can that be? How can a God be loving? On the other hand, why would a loving God allow us to go through some of the things that we've gone through already? Is that love? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What we need to understand that God is sovereign. He's sovereign. So as a result, some of the things that when he's blessing us in ways that we think he should, that we deserve, then he's a loving God. But when he starts to chasten, ooh, whoa, wait a minute. Why is he punishing me? He's not punishing you. Not at all. I'm doing this because I love you. I need to bring you back. I need to check. You bring check. I need to check you. I need to bring you back into where you're going because right now you just deviated from the course. And I'm just reeling you back in. I'm making that lease a little bit shorter because that's what you need at this time. And he will do that. It's chastening. It's not being punished. Not at all. I'm doing this for your own good. And that's what we need to understand. And as Daniel prayed for the people, he knew that they were out of order. He knew that, but that didn't deter him from praying for them. And that shouldn't deter us from praying for our our sisters and our brothers. Continue to pray for them no matter what. God never gives up on you. And I pray that you have friends who never give up on you. I know with this particular body of believers, the prayer is going up constantly for those that we know that are aching, that are troubled, that are suffering. It never stops. And the, the, the heart that he has given us is that it never will stop. Never will. When he says, be about my father's business, that's a huge part of that praying for them. And it's not a question of whether we like them or not. God loves them. Good enough for me. Let's continue to pray. Daniel contrasts God's goodness with with Israel's sin. God's righteousness with Israel's confusion of faith, which is their shame. And these people, this nation was scattered because of their trespass against God. They deserved the punishment that they had received. God was righteous in sending them into captivity. God was right. They were wrong. That hasn't changed. That applies today. This is a proper attitude of each of us should take as we approach God in prayer. God's heart has not changed to meet today's morals and ethics or lack of morals and ethics. God hasn't changed in that sense. God has always encouraged us to know what his word is. And today, we're seeing complete reversals of good and evil. But we've been warned already in the word. Good will be called evil. Evil will be called good. Some of us didn't think that we would see that. This is America. So, you know, we got rights. Even today with the Constitution even being changed to fit a certain group of folks. 
What are we doing? Why are we silent? Why are we passive? In spite of this, God will not forsake them. God will not forsake us. Second Chronicles 6, 36, 39 says, When they sin against you, for there is no one else who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land far or near, Yet, when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication, you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried, carried captive and prayed towards their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city in which you have chosen and towards the temple which I have built for your, your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. That's Daniel's prayer. Never giving up. Always hope. God is a God of hope. No matter what you're going through, there's hope. Always hope in the Lord. And Daniel rests his plea on the character of God, the God of mercy. Mercy. Always, always, always ready to give mercy. Verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are reproaching all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Verse 18, O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Mercy. Mercy, mercy, in spite of what you've done, I will continue to grant you mercy, mercy. We're all sinners, saved by grace. And where do we come from? What did he bring us from with those mercies? Where we start to realize that it's God, it's not us. It's not because of, of something I did or didn't do but it's because of his mercies. And he keeps reminding us about that. This is, uh, this, this verse, these verses 15 through 18, where Daniel's petition and plea, he recalls how God led Israel out of evil and out of Egypt. He did it because of his righteousness, not because of Israel's righteousness. The reason for this deliverance was found in him, not in them. In Exodus 2, 24-25, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. God looked upon the children of America. God looked upon the children of Penfield. God looked upon the children of Calvary Chapel of Rochester. He looked at each heart individually. What does she need? What does he need? What does he need? I would give them according to my will. And he would just continue to bless and bless and bless. Daniel saw their misery and asked God to repeat himself by delivering them. Because God is righteous, he extends, there's that word again, mercy. Mercy. He extends mercy. And when he says repeat, he did. And we can go to other books where he repeated over and over and over again. 
They were sinful, rebellious folks. And they kept doing the same things, the unrighteous things over and over and over again. But he kept extending mercy. Romans 3.26 said, To demonstrate the present time his righteousness, that it might be just among the justifiers of those of the one who has faith in Jesus. And that's what we need to rely on. Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. There's no substitute. Those others that other religious systems want to believe in, they died and they stayed dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the only one that died and rose again. So we can trust in that. We can believe in that. And we don't have to be concerned about whether he's with us. Because if he's not with us, then we made him a liar. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he says. Do you believe it? It's your choice. I believe it. I can prove it. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. Not just in words, but I can speak to you in 100% confidence that Jesus means what he says and he says what he means. And it's not because I'm this super spiritual person. It's just that he's put me in situations where I knew that I knew that I knew that it was him. There's no question. There is nothing in me and of me that could have done what he did or could have, the things could not have happened if I had taken them in my own hands. Absolutely not. And he's proven that right now. Just the fact that I get to share his word with you guys. Years ago, I was far from here. Far from here and glad of it at that time because I was having fun and, and I could not have fun and be a Christian at the same time. I did the math and it just, it doesn't add up. So I chose to have fun rather than give my life to the Lord. And he allowed me to have fun for seven years. And then he said, okay, son, time to come back home. And I never thought I'd be standing here, ever. I mean, oh, Jeremiah, wicked. Heart was deceitfully wicked. Who knew it? I didn't know it. Lord knew but I got a plan for you, brother. I got a plan for you. One day you're going to be standing there sharing my word with your friends. I can't see that. You're right. You can't. I can. Verse 19. O Lord, hear, O Lord. Forgive, O Lord. Listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. Are we called by his name? As it said in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, are you called? Do you know him? The second most important question. The most important question is, does he know you? If you don't know that he knows you, then you need to speak with us. And we'll tell you how to remedy that if you haven't done it already. We will tell you how important it is that not just that you know him, but that he know you. You don't want to hear uh, him I know, her I know, but who are you? Well, Lord, remember that day I went to church? Okay, you went to church, but uh, why were you there? Well, my friends were there. Where was your heart? I was home on the dresser. Motive. Daniel asked God to hear an answer because of who he is and, and what he had promised. No good thing rests upon Israel. God's name is at stake here. God's name is at stake here. God's name is at stake in this church, in this town, in this city, in this nation. God's name is at stake because right now, some of us, present company included, are too, way too silent, way too passive. Well, you know, I, I, I don't say anything because I want to keep the peace. Whose peace are you keeping? 
When you're keeping the peace, you've got to ask yourself that. Are you comfortable? Well, not really, but, you know, I, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to ruffle feathers. You love the Lord? Well, yeah. So why can't you be about his business? I, well, I just want to get along with people. Define the character of these people that you want to get along with. Does it measure up to what the Lord would have? You decide. Verse 20. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. My sins makes it evident that Daniel was not pointing the finger at his friends, at his people, and not at himself. He confessed his own sins privately and personally. What were Daniel's sins? This Holy Spirit didn't feel we had a need to know that. So he was silent on that. We don't have to know. Rather than be concerned about Daniel's sin, what are your sins? Hmm. Holy mountain is Jerusalem in the kingdom of God. Isaiah 2, 1, 2 says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it shall come to pass in the later, latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established at the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. All nations shall flow to it. No exceptions to that. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Verse 22, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of supplications, uh, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. This greatly beloved, this, this, this heart for Daniel, does not stop at Daniel. This heart continues in us. We are of the beloved. We are, every one of us, no exceptions. Well, brother, you don't really understand where I came from. God knows, yet he loves you. So I'm going to trust that he knows better than I do. He's going to tell me, show me how to meet you where you are. That's my desire. Desire of my heart is to meet you where you are. I can't stand in judgment. I can't say because of where you come from. I don't know. There's other areas of sin I know nothing about. I've never experienced it. Not going to be specific, but I know that that's what the Lord had for me. There were certain things that he made me f afraid of. And in hindsight, I say, thank you, Lord. You know, but again, uh, what he had for me was for me. The man Gabriel is an angel who appeared in human form. And the time that he appears was about 3 p.m. at the hour of evening sacrifice at Jerusalem. And Daniel, in this case, Daniel got in the, relative to verses 22 and 23, Daniel got an immediate answer to his prayer. Now, in our case, that doesn't seem to happen as often. And it has to do a lot with God's will. God, this is my need. This is my want. So in Daniel's, according to some of the Bible scholars, that prayer was answered within three minutes. But how long does it take to answer your prayer? I made reference before. I've been praying for 18 months and three days. Nothing's happened. How do you know? The reason you don't know is because you're praying with an expectation not only that, but you're praying to God and then hitting a the stopwatch. All right, God, the time is, so I'm expecting you to answer this in three weeks. 
If you haven't answered it, then I have to take matters into my own hand. God doesn't own a watch. He doesn't know. That's us. That's us putting, uh, going in with a preconceived notion of how and when God should work. It doesn't quite make it. Gabriel said that the moment of, of Daniel, they, Gabriel said that the moment Daniel began to pray, he was sent to answer his prayer. The moment. Isaiah 65, 24 said, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. God hears your prayer. Now, the thing that he asks from us is to be patient, to be obedient, and allowing him to work. Allowing God to be God. Sometimes that's, that's difficult. Because I, I really need this prayer answered so I can, you know, keep other things going. So I'm going to give you three weeks. And then I'm going to have to move on. That's how we do it. Daniel will be given skill and understanding in reference to God's future for Israel in the midst of the times of the Gentiles. Ephesians 1.6 says, uh, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. He made us. That's pretty extensive. Us. How many people does that include? So when I read this, I say all of us. All. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to answer the most holy. And in this case, we talk about weeks. Weeks here can be a unit of days or of years, but in this text, the verse makes it clear that years is meant. Years. Daniel has been reading in Jeremiah about 70 years and understood that 70 years captivity was a specific penalty for violating 70 sabbatic years, totaling 490 years. That's a lot. It's a long time, except when you compare it to eternity. Second Chronicles 36, 21 to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. That's a lot of human suffering. And I won't say unnecessarily, but the Lord is patient to do that, to endure through that. And that's a lot of fruit of the Spirit there, folks. A lot. It is interesting that the Jew, a minority group, could have remained intact for 2,500 uh, 2, years. They stand, they stand, from the world's standpoint, as a miracle people. And the reason for that is because when we looked at them, we realized there were certain things that they went through which seemed to us, from a human standpoint, impossible. They could not be uh, diminished by the king of Egypt. Couldn't do it. They could not be diminished by the king of Egypt. The Red Sea couldn't drown them. Balaam could not curse them. The great fish could not digest them. The fire furnace could not destroy them. Miracles. The gallows of Haman could not hang them. The dictators could not annihilate them. And all these reasons, why is that? Why do you think they couldn't be destroyed? Why do you think they couldn't be digested? Why do you think they couldn't be diminished? Then go to Jeremiah 30, 11. It says, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice 
and will not let you go altogether unpunished. That's us, folks. That's us today. By the grace of God, my sisters and my brothers are sitting here tonight, every one of you, by the grace of God. You've done some things that he didn't like. You've done some things that he didn't like. I've done some things that he didn't like. She's done some things that he doesn't like. Yet, we're still praising him. Yet, he still extended mercies to us. Yet, he still loves us. Yet, he still offers us hope. What a loving God we serve. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. The cutting up of the 70 weeks or 490 years is given to us here. Seven weeks, 49 years to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. 62 weeks, 434 years to the coming of the Messiah. And there is a gap between the 69th and 70th um, week. In that one week, seven years is a period of the great tribulation in which a great crisis precipitates a great climax. Great crisis Great climax. Hmm. There will be a great crisis, and then it will say, That's all, folks. Only the coming of Christ can end this frightful period. We're going through a frightful period, but I encourage you to look up. Don't allow your head to hang down because things are not the way we would like them to be. Don't allow your heads to hang down because our friends are, are just coercing us into learning truth from Twitter. Don't be encouraged, or discouraged rather, by all the things that are going on around us. God is good, and he's going to remain good. Don't test him by thinking you could do anything you want, and he'll bless it. doesn't work that way. One more verse. And then uh, we can go. Uh, Matthew 24. 24 starting at 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagle will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Christ at his coming will bring an everlasting righteousness. Don't be distraught. Look up. Our redemption is nigh. He's coming back and he's coming soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for this time that you have allowed. I thank you so much for my sisters and brothers and their willingness to come out and encourage and be encouraged by one another. And we know that we have a God, we have a Lord, we have a Savior who has done great things, who is doing great things, who will continue to do great things. And we love you, Father. We know that you love us more than we could ever know. So we're just so grateful for how you just continue to pour that Holy Spirit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would grant my brothers and my sisters safe travels as they go out tonight. And we just thank you for, for just creating an opportunity for them to be here. And I pray that if there was even one word that was spoken that discouraged my sister or my brother, Father, I pray that you would 
uh, erasing from our minds even now. And if there's anyone among us tonight who does not know Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, I pray that they would come up to this podium, Father, as Peter did when he went into the cave, stumbling and bumbling, but yet is still seeking you. So, Lord, thank you again for your heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.